as in when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. After a period of another 33 days after the circumcision, again fulfilling the biblical guideline, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple, to Jerusalem, in order to present him to the Lord. Now, do you see the irony in this? Jesus is the Lord. Got it? And they were carrying the one who had just come from the Father to present him back to the Father. One of the old Puritan writers said, Thus then they brought the Lord of the temple to the temple of the Lord. That's exactly what happened. Now, the temple was a place where men would go to do business with God. And yet here we see Christ, the one whose ministry would replace the temple, being carried to the temple to meet with the very God he himself was and is. That is a marvelous irony to me. Now the third irony is found in verse number 24 which says, And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. Now, this particular law of the Lord is found in Leviticus chapter number 12. And the law says that after a woman has given birth, she is unclean, ceremonially unclean, for 40 days. And to remedy her uncleanness, she is to offer a lamb as a sacrifice in the temple. If she is unable because of her financial standing to afford a lamb, she is permitted to offer two young pigeons or turtle doves. Now, get this in your mind. Mary and Joseph are poor. They could not afford to offer a lamb for her cleansing. So Luke says they offered the turtle doves the lesser sacrifice instead. They could not afford to buy a lamb, and yet the baby she's holding was none other than the Lamb of God, which would someday take away the sin of the world. And his mother offered two small birds for her own cleansing, even while nursing him whose blood would finally and fully cleanse not only their sin, but ours as well. That is a marvelous irony. Now, this passage has more ironies in it than that, but those three, in my mind, stand out. And I hope we'll never look at the miraculous birth of Jesus through the same eyes again because our Lord, bless His holy name, came into this world and did what no one else could do, providing a means of salvation for all of those who will believe on Him by faith. I am so glad today I don't have to carry sacrifices to the temple and offer the blood of an animal to atone for my sin. I am thankful that 2,000 years ago, the Lord of glory Himself took my sins in His own body on the cross and died for me and gave me absolute freedom from my sin, from the penalty of it, from the power of it, and one day from the very presence of it. I'm glad the Lord of the temple came to this world and submitted himself to the law of God that he might set us free from those demands that we might have salvation and eternal life through Jesus our Savior. That is a blessing. So having seen the importance of the text and the irony of the text, 
Would you consider with me the instruction of this text? Now, we've looked at this passage in the light of the theology it teaches. And we are reminded of Christ's obedience to the law. We've also seen the ironies in this text and the wonder of the baby fulfilling rituals his own deity superseded and overshadowed. But now I want to take a minute to look at this passage in light of what it teaches us about our lives day to day. So you may call this point application, if you will. And there are two points of instruction I would like to make this morning. And the first is there's a lesson here for the home. Now, while Jesus is obviously the centerpiece of the passage, there's something to be learned here from his earthly parents. While Mary and Joseph may not have had much to give the Savior materially, they appeared to be, term, to, appeared to be determined to provide him with a home in which God and his works were a priority. As early as possible, Mary and Joseph carried Jesus to the temple, and there they presented him to the Lord and devoted him to the service of God. For Mary and Joseph, I suppose the temple dedication, of course, was in fulfillment of the law of God. But for them, it was also a dedication service in which they dedicated the Lord to the Lord, and they dedicated themselves to raising the Lord for the Lord. And don't we need more parents in our day like that? I mean, too many parents give their children everything but the things of God. We give them toys. We give them electronics. We give them money. We give them advantages in athletics and academics. But we fail to give them the advantage which matters most. And that is the advantage of knowing God by teaching them about genuine spiritual priorities. And I pray that God will help us as parents, as grandparents, as teachers of youth to learn from Mary and Joseph. May God help us teach them how to pray. May God help us teach them about His Word. May God help us teach them about how important it is to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. May God help us to teach them about the importance of God's house and His worship. May God help us to raise them in the way of the Lord. And may God help us to devote them to His service and kingdom. Now, as I prepared this message, I became curious. And I was interested in the top toys for Christmas 2018. Let me share with you five of the top ten lists. The first on the list is something called fingerling hugs. You ever heard of that? This is an animatronic monkey which gives hugs to children. Isn't that sweet? But don't you think that is the service parents ought to be providing? Now, if you buy this monkey, it will set you back $29.99. 30 bucks to get a hug. Not bad. Second on the list is LOL Surprise, Bigger Surprise. Hmm. This toy contains lots of little surprises and collectibles for children. And if you aren't familiar with LOL, I would recommend you stay blissfully in the dark because as soon as you give your child one, they're going to want them all. 
And if you buy this one, it'll set you back $89.99. Third on the list is Hatcha Babies. Had to look it up. This toy is an animatronic baby concealed in an egg. It's a baby in an egg. It costs $59.99. Whew. Fourth on the list is Let's Play Elmo. Some of you may remember the hype surrounding Tickle Me Elmo back in the late 90s, a popular gift then. It still is today. This new model, Let's Dance Elmo, it sings and it dances. Isn't that great? It's $39.99. And this toy comes free with Elmo's irritating voice, which is guaranteed every adult will want to stab sharp, sharpened pencils into their ears. Promise you. Fifth on the list is Barbie's Dream House. This is a three-foot-tall by four-foot-wide mansion containing everything your Barbie needs to lead a fulfilling and happy life. It'll set you back $179.99. If you buy, if you buy these five toys, you will spend $399.95 plus tax. That doesn't take into account all the computers, iPads, video game consoles, games, and cell phones, which parents splurge on every year. You say, why did you give us that list? I did it to say this. And here's the point. Parents will spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on Christmas gifts for their children, after they have spent nothing on the, on the spiritual development of their children all year long. We invest in one day, and yet we have them in our homes every day, and we should be investing in them the things of God not trying to buy their love on one day, but teaching them about the love of God every day. That's the point. It appears our priorities are a bit skewed. Our, our homes, and the point here, is that our homes should be a place where we live out biblical truth and biblical priorities before the Lord. Our children are a gift from God. And we only have a few short years to teach them about what matters most in life, which includes faith in and love toward God through Jesus, the importance of prayer and the Word of God, and the value of the house of the Lord. And we can give our children everything they want. But if we do not give them the truth about God and show them who God is in our lives, and who God can be in their lives, then, ladies and gentlemen, we have given them nothing. Amen. Nothing. They're wealthy paupers. They're spoiled sinners when they need Jesus. So there's a lesson here about the home. But then I want to point out there's a lesson for the heart. The Bible says when they circumcised him, they named him Jesus. According to Jewish tradition, a baby boy was not named until the eighth day, the day of his circumcision, but Jesus was given his name before his conception. 
In fact, in Matthew chapter 1, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And the phrase there, he shall save his people from their sins, is an explanation of why the child would be called Jesus. Because the name Jesus is the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves or God saves God is salvation. And when Jesus was given this name publicly, this was a reminder of why he came into the world. He came into this world not to give us a good feeling as we look into a manger scene, but he came here to die for us and bear our sins in his own body that we might be made right with God through faith in his death and resurrection. He came to save us. Jesus is the salvation of God and there's no other way for you or me to be saved but through Jesus Christ. Now, you may have heard of why Jesus came into the world. But I would ask you today, do you know him on a personal level? Have you taken the message of Jesus and his salvation to heart? Have you believed the gospel and experienced the forgiveness the salvation, the pardon Jesus purchased for you at the cross. If you have, praise God. While Christmas may be over, but for you, Christmas will never be forgotten. That's why it came. And if you haven't met Him, you need to know that the Lord Jesus is still saving all of those who will come to Him by faith. You see, Luke's gospel reminds us that Jesus was not only born, but He lived. And as he lived, he submitted himself fully to to live out the law of God. He lived a perfect life. And in the end, he suffered and died in our place on a cross. Three days after that, he rose again from the dead. And he still lives to save all those who will come to him by faith. So do you need him? There are people in this room right now. And you you may not be paying attention. Not, you may think, this has nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with you. Do you understand that one of these days you're going to die? Do you understand that? I never thought about that when I was a kid. I saw people die. I remember when my great-grandfather died. I remember when my great-great-grandmother died. I remember when my grandfather died. People died around me infrequently as a child. But it never really dawned on me as a kid that I was going to die. As a young adult, I never thought about dying. I really didn't. But as I got into the ministry and since I've been preaching and pastoring, I've done probably over 200 or probably 250 funeral sermons. That's a lot of death. I've seen a lot of people die. And I understand now at the age of 56, everybody's going to die. Everybody, under the sound of my voice, every one of you is terminal. You will die. You might die at 15, you might die at 55, you might die at 85, but you're going to die. And when you die, the only thing that will matter is do you know Christ or do you not know Him? Nothing else will matter. It won't matter if you got less dance, Elmo, or a Barbie mansion. It won't matter. It won't matter if your fingerling hugs gave you hugs for 50 years. That's not going to matter. It doesn't matter if you get a top score in in some video game. It doesn't matter. Maybe you're a Call of Duty expert. Who cares? Doesn't matter. What matters is, do you know Christ? 
Because if you know Him, God will take you into His glory and you will enjoy Him in heaven forever. But if you do not know Jesus, you will perish and you will be lost in hell for eternity. So it matters whether or not you understand these things. It matters because God made a way where you could be saved by coming to Christ through faith. And if you will come to Him, you can be born again. So what is God saying to your heart? You know, so many people treat church like it's just kind of an hour we've got to get through. You know, I pay attention to what people do during church. I'm up here. I see everything. I wish to God I didn't. I see the conversations you have while the choir singing. You're no more worshiping than anything. I see you talking among yourselves while I'm preaching. You're not paying attention to the Word of God. Why? It doesn't matter to you. One day it will. I'm not being hard on anybody. You can come in here and do about what you want to do. I mean, that's up to you, right? But at the end of the day, you're going to have to answer to God for how you handle His Word. You're going to have to face Him with what you've done with Christ. And you will either face Him as a child of God, or you will face Him as a lost sinner. And it all comes down to what you do with this one who came and died to save you from your sins. So where are you with Christ today? Do you know Him? If you do, hallelujah. That is a wonderful thing. Rejoice in your relationship with Him and thank God for it. But if you don't know Him, the Spirit of God has shown you that. You need to come to Christ. Delay no more. Believe the gospel and be saved. What has God said to your heart? What has God said about your home? Is your home a place where your children see mom and dad living for Jesus consistently day in and day out? Is your home a place where Jesus is worshipped? Do you lead your family in daily times of devotion and prayer? Is your, is your uh, home a home where the house of God is a priority? Is your home a place where people frequently pray together? Is your home a place where your children, your grandchildren can see Christ lived out in you? If you would have to say no to that, you ought to bring that to God and change that today. And go home today and get your family around you, open your Bible, read the Word of God to them and pray with them. They may think you've lost your mind, but it'll make a difference in your home. It'll make a difference in your family. I'm grateful that I have a wife I can pray with. I'm grateful that I can pray with my children. I'm grateful that I can pray with my grandchildren. And none of them think it's a strange thing because we've done it forever. With my son in November, you can be getting us a song if you want to. I was with my son in November preaching in his church and I was in their home for a couple of nights until I had to come back. And their baby is one year old Wednesday. So that time she was 10, almost 11 months old. 
But I was impressed that he, as a young father, took that little 11, 10, 11-month-old baby every night. and We would all sit down. He would open his Bible. He would read a Bible story. He would explain it to his daughter. She couldn't understand a word he was saying. And then he would pray. I thought, yes. She's going to grow up knowing that's what you do. And I'm happy that she's growing up in a home where she'll be exposed to the things of God. Can the same be said about your children and grandchildren? You ought to mind God today. I'm done. Brother Ricky, what are we singing?